Welcome to BSD Talk number 229. It's Wednesday, August 7, 2013. This episode has been brought to you by Jot, the utility to print sequential or random data. The Jot utility first appeared in 4.2 BSD. All right, now on to the interview. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Chris Capuccio. Welcome to the show. Hi there. And you're the developer of two technologies that I'd like to talk about today, both Flash RD and NSH. But before we get into those, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you wandered into this whole Unix and open source world. Well, I've been using uh, Unix and open source for a long time. I got a Unix computer from my uncle when I was pretty young. His accounting system ran on it and started to get some faulty RAM and so he gave it to me and I really thought it was a cool system, and I've been using it ever since. Do you know what operating system that was running? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It was running, uh, you could run either CPM or you could run Microsoft Xenix on it. Oh, wow, great. Yeah, the Chris 80 Model 16B. <laughs> mm. And what was your first introduction to the BSDs? That machine didn't last me too long, and I started to get into 386 BSD and Linux in the early 90s. And... I've been using those systems ever since. I started using OpenBSD in 1995 when Theo put the first uh, Spark kernel up on his FTP site. He fixed the SCSI weird SW driver and had one that actually worked. Went from 100 kilobyte a second to 1 megabyte a second of data transfer. It was quite exciting. And what was it about OpenBSD that kept you interested in it all these years or, you know, kept you using it? You know, I, I really kind of, I really liked OpenBSD. The focus has always been on correctness and, and that included things like security. And, uh, I always found that to be aligned with my own interests, networking and security. I guess that brings us into two of the things that I wanted to talk about today. One being flash RD and then the other one NSH. So, for those of us who are maybe using OpenBSD as a small embedded firewall, I would say these are two technologies that can make that an easier process. So maybe if you could give a brief introduction to them and, and who might use them and for what purposes. Well, uh, FlashRD is a script that I put together to package OpenBSD as a read-only system. And it doesn't have to be read-only, but... The, uh, the nice thing about read-only is people are still finding, even with brand-new SSDs that cost anywhere from $1 to $6 a gigabyte, is that SSDs and flash uh, storage is inherently unreliable. A lot of people disagree with that, and there's certainly some contention. But it, you know, I think that some, some of what's just been released, there's a uh, in the last Usenix conference, there was even a paper where some guys built a circuit to cut power off of flash drives, and they found that out of the 15 drives that they tested, 13 of them suffered moderate or even severe data loss or total failure simply by cutting power while they were writing to them and cutting power while they were performing different disk operations. So 
the default Flash RD setup will be a read-only system. It encapsulates a running system into a VND file. It mounts all the partitions, and it does this from a RAM disk bootstrap, hence the name Flash RD. The bootstrap is built kind of like you would build any, any RAM disk. It uses crunch gen. It takes the basic utilities, puts them into a small space. But unlike most RAM disk systems, it takes a complete generic kernel and does this. So you don't have um, limited functionality. One of the nice features of Flash RD is that it also doesn't give you a limited system to run with. So, you know, you can buy an 8 gig Flash for 10 or $15. With that 8 gig Flash, you can encapsulate multiple running systems. You can upgrade between those running systems, and you can, uh, you can do all this just by swapping files. So it's, in my mind, pretty powerful. Before we go into more detail on that one, um, one of the maybe companion technologies you've been working on is NSH. What is that? Uh, NSH was a program that I started putting together. It uses really simple ideas and source code from programs like Telnet, FTP, ifconfig, route, ARP, and other common command line utilities. What it does is it takes basic features from these programs, but it re-implements them in a way where you can have a simple syntax. This allows you to take all the running commands in the system, such as you know, setting an IP address or adding a route, and put them in a simple list. Um, it gives you an, a, an RC file format based on its own syntax, and it can load. It can it can write a config file. It can read in a config file, and it can give you a command line equivalent to the same commands. The goal of this was originally to make OpenBSD routers more accessible to other people that I worked with. Uh, I was using OpenBSD to create a wireless network uh, with the WI card uh, back in 2001. I set up multiple access points and clients, and uh, a lot of people were familiar with Cisco routers, Cisco switches, and so I I thought if we could have a simple uh, command line interface that was terse and had all of the configuration items in one place that this would be approachable for these people and it was it worked out pretty well uh the program itself was relatively simple but over time i added functionality to it and now it encapsulates configurations for things like pf bgpd uh, snmpd ospfd and all kinds of other daemons that you would commonly use in addition to providing a simple interface and routing syntax so if I were to put these two together and maybe propose a common scenario, you might have a, you know, you want to have a firewall and you don't want to have a lot of moving parts or you don't want to have a, you know, a monstrous sort of PC running your firewall. So you, you maybe get something like a Socrus Net 5501 and you don't want any moving parts. So you get a compact flash card in order to store everything. So I guess the theory here is that rather than just partitioning the compact flash normally and installing OpenBSD on it, where you'd have a lot of writes, you know, temp files and other kinds of things that eventually wear down that compact flashcard. You'd use FlashRD to make it, I guess, uh, be nicer to the compact flashcard, and you'd use NSH to give you a single config file to encompass most of your configuration changes. That's right. In fact, uh, if you were to do if you were to do it that way, in my experience, you end up with a system that runs for a very long time, 
and doesn't need any intervention. If one were to try and, I guess, get this started, if someone wanted to play with it, uh, I guess you'd would you be able to just take your OpenBSD CDs that you purchased from OpenBSD or downloaded and then run a script against it? Or, or what's the general process for bootstrapping this? That's right. If you, if you have the CD, um, there's a very simple set of instructions where you take the disk files from OpenBSD. You can unpack them in a directory. You run the Flash RD script uh, against them. And it'll, it'll compile a kernel It'll compile some custom utilities with CrunchGen. It'll put together the RAM disk, and it'll even write it to the Flash for you. In fact, it'll even do all that all in one step if you want, although it's actually slightly faster to do it in two separate steps. It's pretty easy to get started with. I've also put up some RAM disk images up on the website. These images are for i386 and AMD64, and you can take those images and download them and use them directly on a flash card. Uh, you can also run them in an emulator like Q- QMU. Now, you mentioned two architectures. Does this support the whole range of architectures that OpenBSD supports? In theory, it could. I've never tested it on other architectures. Time to drag out my old Amiga. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how much do you have this in production, or do you have a sense of how many people are using this? Well... I started writing a different system about the same time I started NSH called FlashDist. And it really wasn't a very good system from my point of view because it um, required that you specify exactly what commands you wanted to copy onto your Flash. And it was kind of a custom hacked up system that was, you know, great for using a small Flash. But now that 8 gig Flash, you know, are literally a few dollars it didn't make sense. Um, that system, however, was used by a lot of people. And I realized a couple of years into it that the reason it was popular, despite its shortcomings, was the fact that it had a it, – it made it easy for people to specify the geometry of their flash and still use something like a compact flash adapter, which would actually use a fake and different geometry to the kernel – and at the time, the OpenBSD bootloader only supported the CHS boot method, and so that the geometry was very important. Um, now things are totally different. The bootloader only uh, supports LBA, and, well, I shouldn't say only supports LBA, but you cannot tell the OpenBSD kernel to use a different geometry than it detects. So you're stuck with whatever your flash adapter deducts from, you know, from the kernel, or the kernel deducts from the flash adapter. So because of that, because of that limitation in the past where LBA wasn't supported, if you didn't have the right CHS settings, you weren't going to get things to boot. So the Flash, the flash Disk script had uh, two different methods for, for facilitating this. One was you could specify your cylinders, heads, and sectors. The other was that it would simply try and fake something up that just might happen to work, and that was mostly by chance, but that was actually how I first got started with it because I couldn't get it to work any other way. Um, and I figured out that that's why it was popular. And every couple of years, it would get mentioned somewhere in a blog or something, and I'd get I'd get a bit of activity emails and things, and and so I'd put a little more work into it. And I realized uh, at some point that it was just stupid to keep going with it. And Flash Boot was really a much better system. Flash Boot was actually where I decided to start using a RAM disk. Flash Boot was similar to Flash Disk in that it you had to specify what you wanted. But it was superior because it was you could upgrade the entire thing by just copying in a new RAM disk instead of having to copy each you know part of the file system piece by piece. So 
when I realized that the reason that people were using it was because it just made things easier, I thought, well, maybe I could make something that was easier still. And so uh, several years later in 2009, I released uh, Flash RD, and it sort of follows the same pattern where I get periods of activity. People write about it on a blog somewhere, they talk about it on a mailing list, and then I get you know, a certain amount of interest and downloads and contributions and things, and then after a while it sort of dries up. I think that a lot of these small projects are probably like that. Yeah, I've been pretty fortunate so far that um, I haven't actually had my Compact Flash card blow up on me, although I don't uh, use it that often. But is that the primary reason for doing this, or are there other benefits well, to I, I, I use it in production myself. Um, you know, I've got uh, I've got a wireless network right now that using various types of gear, and so I I, I put boxes, whether they're, you know, PC engines, ALIX boxes, or whether they're, you know, a super micro with a core two, or, you know, I put different grades of systems out in different places. And I always, as a general rule of thumb, I still want to have as few moving parts as possible. And so when I put one of these out, I, I still use Flash RD myself. Um, I have this running on probably uh, two dozen machines at any given time. And I get interest and contributions from people every so often. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. <laughs> but and, but do you find also other benefits like performance by doing it this way as opposed to you know, writing against the compact flashcard all the time? No, I mean, I don't think you're really going to see much difference as far as that goes. I guess upgradability. I mean, if you're doing something where you're making heavy use of temp files, having a memory file system is going to be superior. But I don't do anything like that. And I guess upgradability could be a benefit. Absolutely. Yeah, with, with with Flash RD, you just copy in a new kernel, you copy in a new uh, user land as one file, and then whatever local modifications you want to make, different config files and those type of things, um, those can get automatically extracted. You reboot, and now you're running the new system. Now, do you have any sort of cooperation or coordination with the OpenBSD developers themselves, or is this wholly outside of the OpenBSD project? It's, it's wholly outside. Are there any... Um, upcoming features to the you know upcoming versions of OpenBSD that you're looking forward to that would be a significant benefit to your project. On the AMD 64 platform, the kernel will be relocated and start loading itself at 16 megabyte instead of at zero. That might that might help with some particular odd behavior you, you see. But one of the issues with FlashRD that I discovered after a couple years was that. On certain systems, and especially as the kernel grows larger, you just start to run into strange problems. And on AMD 64, you can tell the low part of the kernel, the the boot area, to allocate more memory for the kernel. This isn't necessarily so easy to do unless you, uh, you know, add a custom patch to the kernel, allowing the defined to be redefined. And there's also a similar option on the i386 that's already there. You can simply add an option to the kernel config. This is all sort of documented on the FlashRD uh, page. And if the kernel on AMD64 loads at 16 meg instead of zero, you may not have to you may not have to cut down on the size of the kernel as much. You may you, know, you might be able to have a larger RAM disk or do more things with it. So at this point, if you were to take Flash RD and NSH is it possible, essentially, to clone a bunch of 
routers or access points just using Flash RD and then copying the NSH, like a single config file, maybe using TFTP to a variety of machines? Sure, absolutely. The nice thing about NSH is that it, anything that NSH handles, it can it can do out of one config file. So that's all you copy is that one config file, and you can change certain variables in it, host names, passwords, IP addresses, whatever you wanted to. But if your basic template stays the same, then all you need is that that config file to be copied to the new machines, and they will simply boot up and do what you want. Now, if you start with NSH. At that point, are you wholly committed to it, or will it pick up changes made outside of NSH? That's a good question. Um, there's a little bit of both going on. Uh, NSH will read your routes, your interface configuration, uh, your host name, your sysctls. It'll read all of that from the kernel every time you write a config. However, there's other things that it cannot know outside of its own database. It maintains a small SQLite database on disk, or in your MFS if you're running Flash RD. And when you first load the config from NSH, there's certain things that the kernel simply can't tell NSH that NSH needs to know. For instance, there are, uh, if you're configuring IPv6 link local addresses, by default, NSH doesn't want to save anything to the config that, that the kernel does automatically. And on, on any interface with IP6 enabled, you're going to have a default link local address added to that interface. NSH tries to not save these addresses, and it does it by looking in its database. If you type in a link local address and store it on, and configure an interface with NSH, it will save that in its database, and when it goes to write the config out, if it sees that, that IP address on the interface and it also sees it in the database, it'll save it to the config. So that would need to be instrumented through NSH to begin with. Um, there's a couple other things like that. For instance, if you configure, if you configure a, a link local, uh, an LL at, an LL adder, which changes your MAC address mm -hmm. on, on an interface, that works pretty much the same way. And there's a couple of other areas that work like that too. For instance, if you turn on router solicitation or router advertisements. Is there any intent on your part to expand what NSH can do to other daemons in the system? I mean, you mentioned BGP and other things. What about like DHCP servers or mail servers or anything else like that? Are you are you trying to confine it mostly to your basic? It actually, stuff? well, it it actually does encapsulate DHCPD.conf. It also encapsulates SNMPD.conf. I think I mentioned that. It also encapsulates SMTPD.conf. Those are really easy to configure to encapsulate because. Those daemons all sort of have a similar meth method of working. They all have a control program. They all have you know a single config file, and so uh, I already added those to the NSH control functions. Yeah, I'm sort of of two minds with this. Uh, you know, having uh, spent a lot of time in various switches and routers by those big manufacturers, I I've always loved the idea of that single config file. I know that that's all I back up and everything's good to go. But then at the same time. OpenBSD syntax, you know, of many of the systems I've used has always been pretty straightforward. So, you know, of all the ones that need this, I guess OpenBSD has always seemed fairly straightforward to me to begin with. Yeah, and that's, you know, th that's sort of what makes this this project interesting. When, when I first started working on NSH, I thought, well, I'm going to rewrite PSCTL into a library. And maybe that library can become part of the base system or something like that, and then I can call it from NSH, and PSCTL can call it, and whatever. But it, I quickly dropped that idea when 
you know, I did PF, PF just was such a moving target. It kept changing rapidly. And instead, what I did in NSH was I set it up so that it encapsulates these configs, but it doesn't rewrite them. It doesn't change the syntax. So if you know PF, you know PF. You don't have to know PF in NSH versus knowing PF anywhere else. And so with, when it comes to OpenBSD's, you know, syntax, I think NSH actually complements it really nicely. And, it, you know, there's really no there really nothing changes. Um, the only things that change is if you're used to if config, you would you would use those functions a little differently. But as far as that goes, it's really basic, and I don't I didn't try to rewrite PF at all, or any or any of the other uh, control utilities like uh, SNMP or BGP or anything like that. You know, in the mindset of trying to make OpenBSD more accessible to people who are used to working on other systems, what about a web interface to all of this? So that's that's sort of the next step. I haven't quite figured out how it's going to work yet, and I don't really have a lot of experience writing web interfaces, but that's definitely the next step. The whole goal of NSA is to really make things more accessible and make them easier to use. Well, it, it you know, I mean, looking at the syntax, it looks it's hard to tell whether it looks good to me because I'm already familiar with OpenBSD, um, but it does seem to be a, you know, if you're already a, a bit familiar with Unix and familiar with other sort of standard router and switch vendors, it seems to be reasonably straightforward and matches that syntax. I mean, not directly, but it's in the same ballpark as those other types of systems. Well, are there any other things you wanted to say about uh, these two technologies or maybe any other projects that you're working on? Um, Well, I'm just doing a little write-up for how to do URL filtering of RelayD. And I sent that to a couple people and I'm getting some some more tips and some some more interesting information from that. These are all sort of projects and things that can be integrated back into something like NSH, so that it sort of becomes a a platform for launching, you know, new types of new types of systems or products and making them just that much easier and simpler to use for people that don't necessarily know how to use uh, VI or use use a you know know where things are saved on the file system or some of the more mundane issues that we take for granted. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the whole using VI. For people that aren't familiar with NSH, so I guess what you're having people do is not edit the config file with using something like VI, but rather they launch that shell and then type the command, sort of enable or those kinds of commands. Well, there's a little bit of both, actually. If you're editing the PF config with NSH, you can use VI or you can use MG. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you do, you do have to know how to use some kind of editor. Although MG is exceedingly simple for people once they figure out that Control X uh, prefixes everything, mm-hmm. you do, I mean there there is some text editing, but it's all you have to know is just type in this command, and it's eh, it makes it I think a little easier for people. What about pulling it off uh, using like TFTP editing and then re- then pushing it back in again? Does it support that? Well, uh, when you write the config to disk, it'll execute a script, and you could. Have it uh, TFTP, or you could you could have it uh, use a revision control system, or do something like that. So that's sort of up to the whoever implements it. Sure. Well, I guess I'm going to have to give this a try. <laughs> Pull out the Socrus, which I've retired recently, and uh, see what I can make it do. I've I've got some got the right equipment for it, and uh, I'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. All right, absolutely. Well, thank you for taking some time here to talk about these two things you're working on and and you know it seems to me like this is a great way to get technologies like OpenBSD in the hands of more people. I hope so. All right, well thank you. Okay, thanks. 
If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 229.